I wanted to uh, share with you, um, I was gone this week. I, I missed Wednesday. I'm going to miss another Wednesday. But please keep coming out on Wednesday nights. Uh, Pastor Craig is going to be teaching again this Wednesday. He just found that out. And... Um, <clears throat> But I, 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 had to, I went back to uh, Virginia, uh, to Lynchburg, Virginia, for the CPAC Satellite Conference at Liberty University, and I got to be one of the speakers, um, and it was, it was fascinating. The, the, they, they do a convocation there. I think the arena holds 15,000 kids. It was remarkable. Um, we had uh, a number of really cool speakers, um, and one after the other, I had the chance to meet uh, uh, Gary Sinise. Um, really a neat guy, uh, and somebody had given me a note for him to give to Gary. And I, I was leaving my house, and I was in the car getting ready to go to the airport, remembered I forgot the note, ran into the house, got the note, put it in the side pocket, so I remembered the note in the side pocket, got there, uh, the whole, you know, I, I got there a few days before, and then as it came to the event day, I was carrying it around with me, I changed p- pants, and then realized the note was in there and I was already at the event and they had moved the schedule and I was thinking I can still get back to the hotel and get that. I just said, forget it. It just caused me consternation. But I saw Gary and I said, listen, I have a note for you from somebody. And he said, give it to me when we do an event at Cal Lutheran. He lives in uh, Camarillo. And he was just really blessed by the event and was honoring veterans. And uh, that was one of the, the portions of it. We had Medal of Honor winners there. Uh, one man who had lost both his legs, actually two men uh, that... that um, uh, Purple Heart recipients, and uh, World War II veterans, but, but I had the privilege to meet this guy. Uh, he's, he's super cool. Sergeant Edgar Harrell, uh, United States Marine Corps. He's right there. You see the arrow on his head? It's not the guy on the other side. <laughs> and this is him when he was uh, younger, uh, World War II Marine. Um, and here he is with his wife and... Uh, uh, his, his wife, Ola, they've been married 71 years. They got married in 1947, um, and he was sharing at the event, and he said, you know, um, when I was fearing for my life and I went into the ocean that night um, as our ship was sinking, um, I thought of my two brothers and my five sisters, but the one I was thinking about was the girl said she'd save herself from me. Um, and sure enough, I got back and she did and we got married in 1947 and we've been married ever since. She's still waiting for me. She's in a hospital at 93 years of age waiting for me to come back. And, and he shared the gospel with all the kids that were there. The fascinating thing about, uh, Sergeant Harrell is, uh, he was on a Marine detachment on board this ship, uh, which is called the USS Indianapolis. Uh, they carried Little Man, which was an atomic bomb from San Francisco, uh, to Tinian Island, that would ultimately be dropped on Japan. It was a top secret mission. The captain of the ship was Captain McVeigh. He's the only captain in U.S. naval history that uh, was court-martialed for the sole reason that his ship was sunk by an enemy combatant, a Japanese submarine, in the very last days of World War II. Uh, they, they dropped off the bomb at Tinian Island. They were heading to their new port of call and en route to the new port. They had no submarine and no escort. They had no submarine detection and no escort with them. They were sent by high command and they were hit by a, a Japanese submarine. Uh, the, the bow of the ship came off. The captain kept the ship going for a, a period of time. Uh, they did, did receive the distress signals. Uh, history has proven that. But the, the ship uh, sunk, uh, and they, last year they found the ship at, uh, at the bottom of the ocean, 1,800 feet below sea level, and, um, and what had happened on that, that tragic night uh, when the ship sunk, <clears throat> there were, and I wanted to get this exactly correct, 
Uh, it was July 30th, 1945, when the ship went down. There were 1,196 sailors on board. And when the bow of the ship was uh, struck by a Japanese torpedo, immediately 300 of the personnel on board the ship died. Uh, flash burns on a number of others. It was late at night when it had occurred. Uh, many were in their bunks. Uh, the ship began to list, and um, <clears throat> as the ship started to list, the captain was holding tight, keeping the course, trying to get to a location to get uh, distress signals sent out, and, um, and the ship was finally called abandoned ship, and the people that were on the listing side went in. The people at the top had to jump over the side. The survival rate, depending on if you, see, if, if you were on the listing side, all the supplies kind of floated into the darkness of the Pacific Ocean amidst all the oil that the ship was releasing. If you had to go over this side, there were no supplies that went over. They put on these May West life vests and they went in and 890 sailors and Marines went into the water that night. And uh, uh, Sergeant Harrell shared that he was with 18 folks that had circled together with their May, May West life preservers. The big things that go over your neck, if you, they look like a horse collar. And they never sent a rescue ship. Uh, command ignored the distress signal. No one ever radioed that uh, their scheduled arrival date uh, didn't happen. They never sent anyone out. It was a failure of high command. The highest brass all the way at the top had failed. And he is the only captain to have been court-martialed as a result of his ship being sunk by an enemy combatant. It's the largest loss of life in U.S. naval history. Um, And you think, well, there's only 300 lost. No, 890 went into the water and they sat there for four days without any supplies, and the majority of them were eaten by sharks. And when they finally came and rescued them four days later, 316 were alive. The movie Jaws, when you see that old scraggly guy talking about that event in his life, was taken directly from this account of the USS Indianapolis. Today, there's only 12 survivors remaining. And uh, the only Marine survivor, Semper Fi, the only Marine survivor is Sergeant Edgar Harrell. And I had the privilege to meet him. And um, he talked about the darkness that night as he was holding onto the rail and the ship was listing. He said there was fear that enveloped him because you look out at the darkness with no, the only light is the burning of the ship because the electricity was out. And knowing that you would go into this thickness of this oil and um, you were scared. And he held on to the side of the rail and he just recalled the Lord saying to him, I will not leave you, I will not forsake you. He recounted the presence of the Lord on that dark night and he just slipped into the water. And for four days he carried on his back um, a private in the Marine Corps who had been injured and he stayed alive up until three hours before they finally were rescued and the man on his back that he had towed all the way for three and a half days, ended up dying. He just couldn't do it anymore. The 18 that he started with, they ended up with two. Um, In the morning when they'd wake up, he'd touch his friend and the body would roll over because the legs were missing from the shark attack. And I, I, I looked at this and I thought to myself, these were remarkable and still are remarkable men and women that exist today to tell us that these things that they were contending for were worth contending for. And I say that because if you lose perspective on life about what's important, it's kind of refreshing to open up the scriptures and realize that God's principles span time, technology, 
Here's a man 70 years ago. The principles that held him together for survival are the same principles that are holding us together that guide us through a life and a world of maybe changing technology, but the principles are the same. I wonder what life is going to be like for my children and my grandchildren. And I was listening to a presidential candidate, Democrat presidential candidate, who was talking about how the gross domestic production and the um, labor participation rate are false numbers because most things are going to be done by robotics in the coming ages. And how are you going to um, calculate uh, creation of wealth and how are people going to be um, provided for and, and where, where are jobs going to be in relation to robotics taking? I mean, you'll go into a fast food restaurant. There won't be any human workers. Uh, the, the, the exponential growth of robotics is intense. And you talk to futurists. But the principles of the Lord still exist no matter the changing of technology. And if you're a Luddite and you fear technology, don't. He, he's Lord over all. And he, and he wants to work in and through the lives of people. And... Um, and I say that because in this passage of Scripture, we're going to cover that this morning. Uh, we're going to take communion together. I, I woke up this morning with one last thing on my mind, and that was that um, Mike Morell, uh, he's, he's one of the few Republican senators in the California State Senate. Uh, in a state Senate of uh, 40 members, there's 10 Republicans. He's one of them. My friend Shannon Grove is the other. And, and this week, it was a, I was given the, the title of Faith Outreach Coordinator for the Senate Minority and also the Assembly Minority, so they, I'm a very important person now. Um, but I, I wanted Mike to come out, because Mike loves the Lord. And one of the things I appreciate about Mike and I appreciate about Shannon is they, they haven't lost perspective, no matter how you feel about the landscape and the changes and where California's going and the concerns and the direction— it doesn't matter politically. My life doesn't change. It doesn't matter who's the president, who's in the Senate. It doesn't matter to me. I have one God and Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. And, and life continues whether you're going off the side of a ship that's sinking in the night or you're facing a, a, a state that seems to be going in a direction that is the antithesis of what you believe. I don't lose hope. And the thing I love about Senator Morell is he's never lost this, this, this vision and this hope. And it's, it's very difficult to do the job he does, holding the views he holds. That being said, imagine stepping into a synagogue where all the people in authority there that rule the realm are there for one reason. They want to catch you, accuse you, and destroy you. Now, in this room... And it's fascinating, someone came up to me last week and they said I was sitting next to somebody who was taking notes, contrary, or I can't remember exactly how they put it, but they were there to find dirt on you. Hey, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Some of you are here to worship the Lord. Some of you are here to judge others. Some of you are here to judge me. Some of you are here to, you're not sure why you're here. I don't really care why you're here. I'm just thrilled you're here. Because God's word doesn't return void. And, and in that statement, in the room, again, another synagogue he goes into on a Sabbath, and we already studied the Sabbath last week, he goes into the synagogue on a Sabbath, and this time they are ready to come against him. And they also, they pay him one of the biggest compliments you can imagine. They know that he is a sucker for people who are hurting. And so in the front, and scholars believe that this man was, was placed there as kind of a shill 
But um, if you see the text and you read the nuance of it, the reality is he was there for one reason and one reason only, that, to be healed. Some of you are here this morning for um, many reasons. But regardless, the power of God is here. He wants to do a work in and through your life. And with that being said, we'll witness it this morning as we read the scripture. So please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 6. I'm sorry, I forgot to say, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll give you one. Just raise your hand, Luke chapter 6. I'll wait for you to open if you want to do that. Luke chapter 6. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. And that's going to be verse 6. I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. The passage reads, Now it happened on another Sabbath also that Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. Now it's his right hand and it's withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely. Categorizo, which is they, they, they were categorizing every move he was making. They were, they were keeping notes. They were watching him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I'm going to ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. They were triggered. Mark 3, I'm going to pick up so you can see this account. Verse 1, And Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand, so they watched him closely whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. He said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And here's the part that Mark includes that Luke didn't. And when he, Jesus, had looked around at them, and the idea of the word in, in the Greek, looked around, he made eye contact with every single person in the room. But when he did it, he did it with anger. Not at them. But the audacity that people would truly want to find judgment on someone who came to heal. When he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And then we find Matthew 12, and then you'll be able to sit. Matthew 12 begins at verse 9. Jesus says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? This is what he adds. It isn't in Mark and isn't in Luke. Verse 11, Jesus said to them, pay attention to this, what man is there among you who has one sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not lay hold of it and lift it out? How much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And they, verse 14, the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. They wanted to kill him at that point. And, and it's, it's, it concludes with this last statement in Matthew. But when Jesus knew that they wanted to kill him, he withdrew from there and a great multitude followed him. 
And he healed them all. He just kept doing what he does. So that'll be our passage. Let's pray. Lord, please bless the study of your word. And we thank you that you lead us into all truth, Holy Spirit. We welcome you. We invite you. Lord, let man decrease that you, you, Holy Spirit, might increase. We pray your blessing upon this day that our lives would be touched by your word, which is alive. And Lord, you'd cause us to come alive to it. And Lord, whatever reason folks are here as they were that day in the synagogue, it doesn't matter. Your word doesn't return void. Touch every heart. If they, if, if they came to curse, Lord, I pray that they leave wanting to bless. And I, I just ask your work upon every life in this room. Lord, I was an enemy of yours. I was at enmity with you and you changed my life. Do it for everyone present. Help us, God, that we would be reconciled to the God who made us. And we thank you that you're here to heal. You're here to bless. And so, Lord, we welcome you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. I found this picture of a withered hand. Interestingly enough, the, Luke points out it's his right hand. Tradition says that he was a mason, a bricklayer, or a stone worker. You need your right hand for that. In the Jewish culture, much like um, the Middle Eastern culture, your right hand was for eating, your left hand was, was for your, your cleanliness issues with your bodily functions. And so your right hand was the one that you would greet people with. It was always clean. And, and to put out that stub or that hand that was crippled was always something that would remind everyone. You just grab this handful of fingers as opposed to this locking grip. Um, I've got friends in that capacity. And, and, and one, one in particular, uh, Louis Cataldo, um, his, he was um, a metal worker when he was a young man and he is on scholarship and he was going to get a, op- and he's working this sheet and, and his hand got into a metal roller and just crushed it. And he's, he's, he can put buttons together with just stubs. He's, he's amazing at what he does with his hand. He, he's a, he's mechanically inclined with, with a left hand and one that just has remainders. And when you, when you shake his hand, you realize there's something different in that shaking of that hand. And he loves to explain it as people ask. But that, this is lifelong for him. It's going to be that for the rest of his life. And here you have a man with a withered hand. Lewis has been able to work through this. Some, some folks, when I first came to the church, a number of folks had lost fingers. And they happened to be elders in the church. And we had a joke saying, you, you get to be an elder, but you have to pick what finger we're going to cut off. And, and they, had, they had worked through life with that understanding. Uh, in this case, this man's hand is not even operable. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example, a real interesting picture of it. Um, this, is, this is kind of the picture of Jesus reaching out. I love the I love you sign. Uh, that's I love you in sign language, coming out to touch his hand. It's just, uh, I just threw a couple of these together. Um, and, and this is another one where you, you would see it cripple and then being extended and healed. But this is a real-life picture of a right hand that is withered uh, that, that a, a theologian put together in the Middle East so folks would, would comprehend exactly what the Lord was dealing with. And you can see this. The atrophy, um, everything is, is, is bent and atrophied. And the Lord sees this, and his heart has compassion and um, I'll tell you what, when the Lord moves upon your life, he loved Judas, he loved the others, 
When he said, one of you will betray me, none of the other disciples knew who it was because they didn't go, oh, of course it's Judas. And Jesus treated everyone the same. His enemies and his, and, and his friends, the same. I, I am being tested in that capacity. The Lord is challenging me and moving me in that regard. People are not the enemy, they're the opportunity. People are not the enemy, they're the opportunity. And boy, do they test you. And, and, and you pray for those who, who spitefully use you. And you pray and you love them and you do good to those. Do good. You don't categorize them and put them in that, that world and stay away from them and throw bombs over the wall at them. You do good for them. You, you engage them. You love them. And as this occurs, your heart breaks when you see folks going through trials in their life. And they set the Lord up. But he knew. He walks into a room and they put the guy with the withered hand in the front row. And he's probably got his mason outfit on and his inability to work. And everyone knows who he is. And the Lord comes in. And he wants to touch him. He wants to heal him. But as the scripture says, he looks around the room and he can just see the eyes just gazing at him. And they are, they are ready to do business. I find it interesting that people will access the messages online for no other reason than to find quotes to use in opposition to whatever it is we do. So we had to put a disclaimer up there because we wanted to, people to have access. But just, if you want to come to a service, come to a service. And, and I've, I've seen people just, I've never met them, I've never talked to them, I've never interviewed with them, but they've got an opinion. And, and, they, and out of context and whatever it is they want to say. But one of the things I do take heart in is I never get embittered to the best of my ability. Now granted, there's a season where I have to, okay Lord, kill me, I'm ready to die so that I can have your heart. Dead to yourself, alive to Christ, you understand that. Not like physically kill me, okay, anyways. <laughs> I could see you looking at me. No. <laughs> but, the, but the idea is you, you, you come to this place where you just say, Lord, give me a love for them. And then all of a sudden I rejoice thinking God's word doesn't return void. They may be sifting through every message on our archive and they are gonna, they're going to find a case. Do it. But while listening to it, I pray that your life is touched in some capacity. And that's all right. That's all right. People come into the church with motives, and, uh, and I get that. I remember coming to a church for one motive, and that was to meet girls. And, and yet, God has a way of getting your heart. And the Pharisees and the scribes watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath. <laughs> and and the, the Lord... The Lord doesn't turn to the guy with the withered hand and said, you know what, when this is all done, why don't you meet me outside and I'll take care of that for you. Hey, let's do this on Monday, all right? When the sun goes down, come on by, I'll take care of it. He just looks at him. And he said, you know, just with his eyes. Really? Really? You know the law, that if, if your beast of burden falls in a ditch, you can pull him out. You have a great love for your animals, but not for human life. Pausing for emphasis. (laughs) 
Really? He says, stand up. And they're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> stretch out your hand. And they, half the room, and the other half, why are you here? You want to find fault with the God of the universe and use a feeble man like me as judgment? You want to look around and find all the hypocrites in the room? I'll, I'll save you time. Everyone, including you, welcome. Everyone in this room has, has set a standard for themselves that they failed to achieve. Hypocrite. You feel better? But here's an interesting one. In the room are people that had drug addictions, broken lives, marriages in disarray, wayward children, illnesses. Their lives were trashed and they were touched by the Lord and healed. Wait, wait, wait. Ready? For those of you who are taking notes, everyone I just listed for witnesses so they can come and talk to you later, please raise your hand if that applies to you. Thank you. Now you may clap. So since you're doing that thorough article... Please just talk with the witnesses and and get their testimony in relation to that. It will help you. Look, I get it. And the Lord just looked at them and said, Really? This is is the issue? You, You have a political agenda to retain power, and before your very eyes, a man's hand is healed, and it angers you? And he uses this whole illustration out of the Old Testament of the ox falling in the ditch, which was permissible on the Sabbath. And, and I love what Billy Graham says. He says, Jesus tells us it's okay to help an ox out of the ditch on the Sabbath, but if your ox, but if your ox gets in the ditch every Sabbath, you need to either get rid of the ox or fill up the ditch. <laughs> Listen, some folks overemphasize the Sabbath. And some folks underemphasize the Sabbath. We covered that last week. The Lord loves to be with you and we love to be with the Lord and we love to be with each other because we spend six days of the week out there being ridiculed and, and, and ignored and, and dismissed and we come here and we realize we're not that crazy. And, and the word ministers to our heart. Some folks come and, and they say this and I, I, was, I was really blessed by the worship uh, this morning. I was, I was really touched by it. And, and not even so much for the music, but there's, there's something in relation that, that the Lord had, had used this week that really blessed me. The music was wonderful. It always is. The, the servants up here, it's always a blessing. But folks can pick it apart and they can lament and they can say, I didn't get anything out of worship. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that from so many people. I didn't get anything out of worship. It doesn't matter who the band is, who's playing, what song they're singing. I didn't get anything out of worship. Well, did you put anything in? 
That hurt a little bit. I'm sorry. <laughs> and you're taking notes. One old preacher said, <clears throat> when you go to the spring for water, you got to take a bucket. You look, at, you look at the crowd that morning or the, at, the, at, the, at the Shabbat in the synagogue, and I, I kind of categorized some of the folks. Some came, obviously, as, as we see in the text, to accuse him. They came to accuse him. That was the Pharisees. They were hoping to be able to accuse Jesus of being a Sabbath breaker. And we already covered that whole aspect last week. But a Sabbath breaker worthy of death. So they got their notepads out and they're going to they're going to make a case against him categorical. They're going to they're going to categorize and make this issue against the Lord. And and as I said earlier, you think the man may have been planted, but uh you can tell he was there to worship. He was there to be touched and to be healed. He had no part in their plot. And I I guarantee you he was grateful to have received that healing touch. They were also there to entrap him because they knew the Lord was compassionate and they wanted to entrap him. But think of the large multitude that came simply to worship the Lord. And we talked about the Sabbath. Making Sundays special. Sundays are special if you prepare on Saturdays. What time do you go to bed? What scriptures were you reading? How did you prepare your heart? Are, did you lay your clothes out? Are you just yelling at everybody? Get them in the car. Get, get over there. This is exhausting. Why are we going? Oh, that's right. You've got to give money. I'm going to write that check. Calvary Chapel, stupid church. But others purposefully, this is, this is, this is the highlight of their week. For me, I can't wait to come. I, I was in Virginia. It was tiring. And I, I told Michelle last night when we got home, I just said, I, I just, I can't wait for tomorrow. I love being with all of you. This is the highlight of my week. I, I hated missing Wednesday. I'll hate missing next Wednesday. I have to go back to D.C. But I know this too because we're new and it's a new location that there's worshipers, there's ac- accusers. But I also know, too, there's just plain spectators. They're like, I heard there's a new church. I'll check it out. I live in the area. I just dropped in. We just moved here. We're checking it out. Somebody invited us. We're checking out. Spectators. That's good. But in the crowd that day with with Jesus, there were spectators. There were worshipers. There were accusers. And there were a lot of folks who were very self-righteous. They were looking for all the faults in others. And they were very critical. And I have to tell you, self-righteous Fault-finding, critical nature is not a recipe for worship. And, and you just pick apart the worship team. I can't believe that they're wearing that. I can't believe that they do this. I don't understand. I, and we're all prone to it. Trust me, I've been there. You, you pick apart the preacher. I, I, I struggle. I struggle when you pick apart a shepherd. I, pick up, I, I struggle when you pick apart a church. It's, it's the bride of Christ. You talk poorly about Michelle in my presence, you'll be picking up your teeth with your broken arm. <laughs> Depending on how big you are. <laughs> I may be picking up my teeth with my broken arm. 
This is the Lord's bride. Be careful. And what's interesting about the Lord's bride is my wife has many facets. She's like a diamond. She's got many facets. And some of them I know and personally and others you get exposure to. And this is, this is what makes the beauty of, of my bride. Well, the Lord's bride has many facets. And one of the facets is over at Calvary Community. Another facet is over at Living Oaks. Another facet is down there at First Christian Church in Newbury Park and Monta Vista Press. And the facets of that diamond. And, and, and you got Anthem and all these different facets. And it's beautiful. And, may, and maybe it's not what you like, but that's a facet. You may not like a facet of, of the way my wife operates. But she's my wife. Right? And that's how the Lord feels about his bride. And when you come to church and you're a believer, it's to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. Come to worship the Lord. Look past the faults. It's to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. Look past the faults to a heart of worship. Quit being critical. Quit being self-righteous and looking for fault. Settle, calm and quiet your heart. Just close your eyes. Sit in the front row so you don't have to look at anybody. I, I, have new, I, I, I got these things when I was flying. They're these eye patches at blackout. I'll give you a set. <laughs> and just enjoy his presence. That's why people close their eyes. They're, they're you're going, oh, what's wrong with them? Are they high on something? No, they're just trying to keep you from looking at them. Because they can feel you being critical. I, I, I love... Um, Back left-hand corner, one, one of our, our congregants claps really loud and gets into it. And people are looking, going, what in the world? He, that's his heart for worship. He needs special needs. But if everybody did that, it would be pretty cool. And I, I, I think how we just struggle. And, and this, is, this is the idea. Is the Lord is looking for folks that just want, us, want to worship him. And try to just have the Lord take away that critical nature. If you're visiting, this is all new to you, take it all in. And some of the stuff you're going to try to have to register. I get all that too. But it boils down to all of this. You know why we're here? We're here because with all of our heart, we believe the Bible to be true. We believe that the presence of the Lord is here, that he inhabits the praises of his people. And we've come to have our lives changed and touched and healed and blessed by him. That's why we're here. Amen. A heart of worship, especially when we categorize kind of the, the realm of the room, there are a group of folks that you came in here and you've got really injured lives. You couldn't pick a better place to come. You need God to make you whole again. He can do that. He just, he wants you to worship him. Worship just, in the Hebrew, the altar meant slaughter place. The idea is, come to die and rely. Lord, I, I, I lay my life down. Would you live through me? Lord, I've tried to fix this, I can't. Would you take it from here? God, I, I lay down my my 
anxiety, my fear, my trepidation, my judgment. I just, I just give it to you. Would you take it from here? Lord, I, I have tried to be the Holy Spirit and bring conviction to my spouse. I have tried to, and I am exhausted, and they don't listen. And, the, and, and Lord, I want to die and rely. Would you, would you take it from here? That I would be crucified with Christ, no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. Would you, would you take over from here? I want to I worship you, be consumed with you, and be blessed by you. And the Lord says, I'll take it from here. I'll take it from here. It's good. The Pharisees use God's law to accuse people. We get burned out on the church because you come in and you get, you get accused. We love to use the law against you as human beings. And the church is guilty of that because it's filled with human beings. But grace is greater than the law. God didn't do away with the law. He fulfilled it. And the law is a schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. You came here because you've tried to keep the rules. You've tried to do what's good. The things you want to do, you don't do. And those things you don't want to do, those you're doing. And you're like, I am sick of this life. And I'm coming for some sort of change. And God says, mercy triumphs over judgment. And I'm here to bless you. I'm here to touch you. I'll be the fulfillment of that law. You won't have to observe the law to be saved. I'm going to save you. And you'll do that not out of obligation, but out of adoration. You're going to want to do the right thing. Because I'm going to, I'm going to touch you and bless you. And you're like, Wow. The Pharisees use the law to say, you don't belong in here. You're not like us. You don't dress our way. You don't talk our way. You don't follow our rules. You're out. You don't dress like us. You need to do this, this, and this if you're going to come in here. And I said last week, I don't care what you wear. Just wear something. But I don't care what you wear. Come. I don't care if you're here to judge me. I don't care if you're here to ridicule me. I don't care if you're here to thank me. I don't, I don't care. Even if you're a spectator. I'm just thrilled you're here. Welcome, because God is here. And I just want to ask you this question. And it's the same question Jesus asked of the critics. Is it okay if we do some good today? Does it bother you that all those people raise their hand and that this is actually a legitimate gathering of human beings that have been touched by a living God? Does it bother you? Listen, one of the things I wrote down, and I love this about the passage, not doing good, not doing good is worse than not doing bad. I'll break it down for you, a la Congressman Bob McEwen. Morality and character. Morality is not doing what's wrong. This is a room of moral people. You don't do what's wrong. Maybe you do, but it's the exception, not the rule. Okay, we all have, but it's the exception, not the rule. Moral people not doing what is wrong. But character is different. Character is doing what is right. 
he gives one of the best illustrations I've ever heard. He says, your child comes home from school and says, mommy, daddy, all the kids in the school called Susie fat, but I didn't. And you say, well, child, that's the moral thing to do. But where's your character? The child says, what do you mean? Why didn't you tell the other children to stop it? Well, they would have yelled at me. They would have ridiculed me. They would have laughed at me. I love this about Mike Morrell and Shannon Grove. A number of other folks who stand... I remember President Falwell, when I, I had the privilege to meet him, the Lanes introduced me to him, I had the privilege to meet him, and, and I just simply said to him, and he's, he's kind of a, he's always thinking about stuff, so he's all over the place, and just trying to connect with him, and I, I just said, yeah, it's, I said, I, I'm, really, I'm really blessed to be here at Liberty University, because I feel like I fit in here. I mean, in California, I'm a California condor. I'm an endangered species as a conservative in California, but I'm not protected. And he kind of laughed. He goes, yeah, I don't even know how you could manage doing that out there. That's awful. But in the same regard, I really love being here. Because being back there, people take for granted what they have. Here, Sundays are special. I mean, look at the bar scene from Star Wars. God is assembled here. We get to hang out together. <laughs> Morality is not doing what's wrong. Character is doing what's right. And the problem is when you do that and you stand for those things, they're going to figure out a way to come against you. Well, it's not working. Hit the last slide, will you? There you go. Beaten in an argument, discredited before the people, Jesus' opponents were driven to desperation. They were triggered and they wanted to kill him. And they were going to do whatever they could to get him out of the way. They wanted him dead. You know, there is really no logical argument for the destruction of a human baby in the womb. None. And it infuriates people. And we all know what the scripture says, but we're paralyzed to do anything about it because they will plot. And that's just one issue. Imagine going to Sacramento and contending when three quarters of the deliberating body is opposed to you and has all the power and all the money. And standing for that. And your livelihood and what you get paid to do after you've worked your tail off to get into that office, they're all coming against you. And everyone who holds to your view is silent. 15 million evangelical Christians in California and 7,280,000 of them don't even care what Mike Morell and Shannon Grover are doing. Whatever. I just go to church. And of the half that, that do vote or registered, only half of them do it, and a quarter, uh, half of that in a non-presidential. And they're up there, they just, they get beat up day in and day out. And the only time you write them a letter is when you're upset about something. I've noticed that being mayor. I, I, this is my fourth campaign. I've got a fifth one coming up in 2020. 
And um, I, I, I met the volunteers that worked tirelessly and made phone calls and blessed and everything. And, and I, interestingly, I get, I get letters from folks who didn't necessarily do anything. But I voted for you. Well, I'm grateful. And, and now I own you, and this is what I want from you. Well, granted, praise the Lord, uh, you have given me consent by your vote. You have. And I want to be responsive to the constituency, to the best of my ability. But I can't be bought because I'm already owned. I stood in front of you and I declared that this is who I am and this is what I desire to do. And, and it's all driven by the Lord. And you can't buy me because the Lord already owns me. And so tell me what your situation is. I'll pray about it and work from there. And, and that's, that's refreshing because guess what? I don't care. I, I, I don't care what forces you're going to assemble. I, I, I rise and fall before one master and that's the Lord. I want to share with everybody my vision for that and what I want to do and how I want to serve and how I want to represent you to the best of my ability. And that's, that's what we do in a, in a government of, the, of consent of the people. And that's one per, person not voting for me. <laughs> but the idea boils down to this. Jesus, Jesus saw that they were prepared to come against him. It doesn't matter. Shannon and Mike see that. It doesn't matter. You can't be bought because you're already owned. This is what the Lord wanted to do, and that's what Jesus did. And I I think for us in this realm, the fear is the reaction. And what broke Jesus' heart was when he made eye contact with the room And they were, they, their hearts were hard. How in the world can this be an issue to you? Why would this upset you so much? And that broke his heart. And he healed the man. And then it brings us to this. Why did you come today? Are you a spectator? Are you critical? Are you a worshiper? Are you here in self-righteous judgment of others? To be critical? Why are you here? Because the Jesus that stood before the synagogue and the man with the withered hand, everyone who came to worship was touched. And later he went to a solitary place and folks came to him and he healed them all. You want to have a relationship with that God or you want to stand in defiance of him? Because he died for you. His body was broken. His blood was shed to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Here's here's the point. Blood must be shed for the remission of sin. If you want to be reconciled, relinked to God, that's called religion. It's a Latin word to relink, to reconnect with your creator. Something stands in the way and that's your inability to do good. You're selfish. You're critical. You're self-righteous. You're judgmental. And if you, if you don't think you are, that proves it. <laughs> and God wants to heal you. You're paralyzed in your ability to do it. And he wants to heal you. And so 
He cleanses you of all unrighteousness because the penalty that has to be paid to the judge is human blood, the life force. See, it's called capital punishment. The wage of sin is death, and everyone is guilty. I can't die for you. You can't die for me because we're both guilty. Somebody who's not guilty steps up and says, I'll take it. And that was Jesus without sin. He became man, was tempted in all ways, yet was without sin. He willingly went to the cross. It wasn't the nails that held him to the cross. It was his love for you. He poured out every drop of blood, and his final word was to telestai, it is finished. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as he died, he had you on his mind. You want to be critical of so great a love? Or do you want to be healed? Choose this day. You've come into the room. You want to have your heart hardened? Or do you want to have your life healed? You've seen the witness. They've testified. They raised that hand that's no longer withered. They, they praise the Lord in your presence. What do you want? Because Jesus says, freely you've received, so freely give. He gives you his life. He says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue, Jesus is Lord, you're saved. I cleanse you. I forgive you. I pay the penalty. The transaction's complete. You've been relinked. Religion, reconnected with your creator. Done. Paid in full to telestai. Healed. And so what we do, the first Sunday of every month, Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. We take communion. We have a cup and we have a piece of bread. The body must be broken for the blood to be shed. Jesus said that on the last night. My body would be broken. My blood would be shed for the remission of your sins. We just do this as a remembrance and we testify. Just as we raised our hands today, having been healed, we testify. This is what we hold in common. A God who forgives, a God who cleanses. Why did you come? He wants to do the same for you or do you want to leave with a critical, self-righteous, judgmental heart? embittered and trying to figure out a way to stop this craziness. I tried, and the Lord broke me. And now I love him with all my heart, and I'm fearless. There's nothing you can do, and no matter what you came here to do, if you're critical, I'm not afraid of you. I, I, there's nothing, what are you going to do, threaten me with heaven to kill me? You're not my enemy. You're an opportunity And the Lord loved the Pharisee and the Sadducee just as much as he loved the man he healed. So why did you come? Because right now, that question can be answered when you come and receive freely that which he gives to you that cost him everything.